My scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 180. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will. So that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people, to the praise of his glory. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. Verse 3 sets up the core of this lesson. Blessed be the God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What follows is a summary of Paul's overall understanding of what is included in God's blessing of humankind. God's initiative to choose, adoption, redemption, and forgiveness, and an illumination into the mystery of God's will, a God-bestowed inheritance, and finally the seal of the Holy Spirit. Such blessings redound with doxology and praise to God for such providing us with such a praising and glorious life. So it's in this idea, I want you to picture, if you will, the diverse dreams that people hold for what we would call the good life. Some seek prosperity. Others yearn for love and meaningful relationships. Some look at this in such a way that helps us explore as we take us beyond the earthly aspirations to, divine, to delve into the divine perspective, uncovering the abundant life that God and God's infinite wisdom has prepared for each and every one of us. So let's talk about the good life. In the grand narrative of our lives, God's perspective transcends our limited understanding. This passage of scripture serves as a gateway into the divine understanding of the, gospel, the good life 
the Apostle Paul lays the foundation by declaring, Blessed be the God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. These blessings, as we will soon discover, encompass God's initiative to choose adoption into his own family. Redemption, forgiveness, illumination into the mystery of God's will, a God-bestowed inheritance, and the seal of the Holy Spirit. So I want to break those down just a little bit. God's initiative to choose. God chose each and every one of us. Adopted each and every one of us. Redeemed and forgave and showed us God's will. And, and gave us an inheritance that transcends our understandings. You see, it's not a mere accident, but a deliberate choice of the Almighty. The good life, from God's perspective, goes beyond fleeting earthly desires. It is rooted in an eternal plan with, and crafted with divine precision. This passage of Scripture, I want you to imagine the idea of the Holy Spirit hovering above the waters at someone entering the waters of baptism. You see, it's a declaration, not merely of water washing away of our sins, but of the divine inheritance awaiting those who embrace Christ. The opening prayer sets the tone, a harmonious blend of praise and thanksgiving and doxology. And Lamont might say, that it's a simple, profound statement of prayer, which our prayers are usually, help, 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 and then responding by, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's also in this passage that we find a sense of eulogy. Eulogy is not a bad term, by the way. I don't know why it's always attributed to funerals, but it's a celebration of God as the true source of goodness. Ephesians reminds us that that prayer is not a transactional conversation with a distant force, but a relational journey with our greatest benefactor. It's a reminder that the moments of asking and lament or reaching out in despair make sense only within the framework of recognizing God's lordship over the universe. So let's break those blessings down. There's six in this passage of Scripture. Number one, God's initiative to choose. As I say ad nauseum with my Sunday school class and my Bible study, God chose before the foundation of the world to choose us. I want you to contemplate the profound reality that you are not an accident, but a deliberate choice of the Almighty. You know, one of the hardest parts of our culture is, is that we live in a world where our young people are growing up not understanding that. They don't feel like they matter. I try to say this over and over and over again to us as adults, that bullying t now, today, is different than it was when we were kids. 
the bullies are not as, easier, as easy to uh, identify. And those that are being bullied know that they're being bullied, but they don't know how to deal with it because we haven't given them the social skills on how to process and, and deal with uh, conflict. And yet, the bullies feel like they're being bullied. And those that are being bullied feel like that they're bullying others. And it's just this vicious circle that goes over and over and over. And at the end of it, at some point or another, our kids do not feel like they matter. And we have failed them. It's our job to tell them that they matter and that we love them unconditionally. Let me give you an example. Max, Wyatt, Aiden, Eli, Aiden, Quentin, Lillian, Ethan, wherever you are, you matter. We love you unconditionally. In the same way that God loves you, and we love you, you need to hear us say that to you. And that when the world throws stuff at you, we are here for you. Adults in this room, we love you. In the same way that God loves you, God loves you, but I love you. And you matter. You matter not just to me, but to the world. Your voice has a deep, deep meaning. This is what Paul is talking about. God chose you. It was not an accident. It was a deliberate choice. From the beginning of creation, when God breathed the Ruach and Adam and Adama, we became God's favorite. You matter. Let's go to the second blessing. Adoption. You see, adoption has, well, a deep meaning in my family. I have three sisters that may or may not have been born of my mother. But they are my sisters just the same. They annoy me just as much as my brothers do. We fight just as much as my brothers do. There's no difference between what they do in our life than what uh, the, three, the six of us do. It is just the six of us. There's not just three and three, you see. I want you to imagine what it's like to adopt a new member. I, I know what it was like for us. The joys and concerns of, uh, of my parents as, is this going to work? Is it, is, are, are, the, are the boys going to be okay? Are the girls going to be okay? And God, in his grace, looks past all of those things and adopts us into God's family in the same way that we lash uh, lavish us with privileges of sonship and daughtership. God adopts us individually. You see, this is important to Paul's audience in Ephesians. 
he's grown up his entire life understanding Torah that bloodlines don't mean anything in the glory of God. Jesus changes those conversations, broadens those conversations. Torah allows for people to be from outside of the tribes of Israel to be adopted into the tribes as if they were always a part of the family. So as Paul is saying this, this is extremely deep and confusing to the church of the first century. Then, there's the aspect of redemption and forgiveness. You see, the Im image of redemption carries the weight of a freeing of a doulos, or a slave. Christ's sacrifice liberates us from captivity to sin, bringing forth forgiveness and reconciliation. I think it's too hard for us to understand God's mercy triumphing over judgment. It's too easy for us to want judgment over mercy. Our world is designed that way, isn't that right? Paul is challenging it even with a church that is literally living, as I say all the time, under the boot hill of the Roman Empire. God's forgiveness and redemption transcends even that. The fourth blessing is the most confusing. The mystery of God's will, you would say. Let's be frank about this. When we usually have this conversation, it's when we don't have any answers. We use it as a cliche. It's all in God's will. Right? There's a lot of truth to this, though. I remember my dad preaching a, a bunch of times, uh, and, and I'm pretty sure he got it from someone else, but the idea of if you pray for potatoes, have a hoe in your hand. If you truly believe in God's will, you will prepare yourselves for what's going to come. And what's going to come is not anything that you ever imagined. I think it's too easy for us to make God a genie and that I'm going to make this wish and then God's going to grant it. God's will transcends that understanding. But God doesn't leave us in the darkness. It's through the gift of the Holy Spirit that we gain insight into the divine mysteries, aligning ourselves and our lives with God's purposes. They're not that complicated, church. God's purposes are the words that Jesus gives to us very simply. Loving your enemies. Feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting those that are sick and imprisoned. That fifth blessing, well, for some it's a blessing and for some it's a curse. Our world focuses on inheritance as an accumulation of wealth. Let's be honest. When someone dies, we accumulate their belongings. <laughs> we accumulate their stuff. All of their stuff, their furniture, 
their clothing. The box of newspaper clippings from 1922 that they haven't looked at in 30 years. When we think about inheritance, we, we don't think about inheriting things from God. We think of, oh no, now we have to deal with all of this stuff. The stuff that we have here on earth is so limited and we think that it's all ours. It's the idea that when we, when we die, the one that has the most toys, well, they still die. And somebody has to deal with the toys. And it's usually us. But that's not the inheritance that Paul is talking about here. God has bestowed this inheritance with joyous anticipation. He gives us Christ. And it's with Christ that we inherit what? Come with me now. Eternal life. Whew, I thought we were asleep. We inherit eternal life, a treasure beyond measure, something that we have to unpack on a daily basis. What does it mean to inherit eternal life? And why is it so important for us and for others? Which then leads us to the very last blessing that Paul talks about, this seal of the Holy Spirit. You see, in ancient cultures, the way that they would make sure that you understood that it was a legal document was with a seal. My dad and my grandfather have a, a, a signet ring that's a, a, a cross that they got when they graduated from seminary. And, and the idea was, at a long time ago, not my parent or my grandfather, but in a long time ago, the, the people that passed on the words or wrote the documentations were, guess who? The clergy. They wrote the stuff. And then they took their signet ring and they sealed it with a wax document. And no one except for someone that was touched by God could open it. You see, that signet, that seal was important to the first century because all documents, everything was passed with a signet or a seal. So when Paul's talking about it as that that seal signifies ownership and authenticity, for us, the Holy Spirit is God's seal on us, guaranteeing our redemption and marking us as his own, where we don't need a wax stamp. It's on our heart, emblazoned on our soul, a marker, if you will, that we are God's own. I want you to think about the transformative power of this adoption. Imagine a family with all its joys and concerns, choosing to embrace a new member, applying all of these spiritual realities that Paul is giving to the church in Ephesus, and God adopting us into his family. And how does this change our self-perception? For we are chosen, not forsaken, adopted, not abandoned. I think about this, uh, I have been thinking about this a lot this week, because at the end of the year, you're supposed to talk about uh, a New Year's resolution. As a, as a minister, you're supposed to challenge the church 
to make New Year's resolutions? Well, I don't want to. I think resolutions in the name of God are uh, dangerous because we have no resolve. Resolutions are human ideas. They're one of these things that we know that we're going to fail. And we make them right off the bat saying that we're going to do them and here we go, we're, we're, we're going to try. And I mean, I'm one of them. I'm going to try to do this better and I'm going to try to do this better. But resolve, you see, in Christianity in the first century meant that at the beginning of that moment, they knew that everything was changed and they resolved with themselves that they would preach the good news, that they would live the good news, that they would be the good news. So maybe instead of us just walking and talking it, maybe we resolve to living it. I really want you to think about this as we come to the end. Think of these blessings that Paul is talking about with the church of Ephesus. Think about how this comes into your life and how you have been given all of these things in the name of God through Jesus Christ and been gifted the Holy Spirit. How do you resolve to let the world know and feel those blessings in a hurting and scary world? Let's just take a moment and pray together, shall we? Almighty God, as we ponder these blessings, we ask our hearts to swell with gratitude and praise. Consider how knowing that God has adopted us transforms our self-perception. For we are a part of the redeemed. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit we ask that you help us embrace the truth that your life is a symphony of praise to the God from whom all blessings flow. Help us to live in the reality of our adopted status, praising God for the incomprehensible richness of his grace. We ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.